Hello and welcome to the Lock In Podcast, the show that lifts the lid on the pub trade by those working in it. I'm the morning advertiser, Ed Bennington, and joining me for this episode is my trusty co-host, award-winning pub operator, a man who's never knowingly cheerful or optimistic, Basil Faulty. I mean, sorry, I mean, Heath Ball, a ray of sunshine, whatever the weather. Yay. Yeah, indeed. I was really looking forward to this session with Captain Grumpy. Uh, ordinarily, I'd now be making rude jokes about my other usual co-host, James Cuthbertson, but we sent him to a fat farm, so he can't be with us today. Jeez, that's dark. <laughs> He'll be fine. He needs to lose more. That's right. It's fine. So to fill the void, we have a brand new co-host with us today. My boss had been on the meet to increase the diversity quota of our host, and with two fat middle-aged bald men and me, uh, we were not representative enough. So uh, we decided we'd push the boat out, get one of the brightest female talents in the sector, someone to bring a new perspective, a new take on the industry's challenges, an award-winning communicator who had nuance and sophistication to counter the hairy-ass pub hobbits ranting. Sadly, they weren't available, so we've asked the amazing Nikki Thatcher if she had half an hour to spare. Who knew that was coming? I don't know. Nothing, it's not Different packaging. I, I, do, I do bring the average age down by a considerable amount, don't I? So that must be quite nice. I mean, that's, 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 oh, that's, that's ageist, a low isn't blow, it? isn't that's it? pretty that's ageist. ageist. You can't say that. Yeah. And yeah. I've got more hair than both of well, together. You've just ruined my next joke <laughs> as well. It's back. So, uh, I mean, as we were saying, we, we wanted to lower the fatness hair thing, but Nikki does have hair, so that's one of those boxes ticked. <laughs> Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the gang, Nicole. Thank you. I'm excited. Who's Nicole? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, we will, we'll get on to that. Maybe if, uh, if Nicole appears in later episodes, we'll get on to why she's called Nicole. Um, we'll explore that one at another time. So, for this episode of the podcast, we are going digital and looking how, how digital marketing and technology is shaping the pub sector. To help us with that, we've got James Goldsworthy, Head of Digital at Punch Pubs & Co. Superstar Chef, Gary Usher of Elite Bistros will be talking about building community and digital funding. We'll also be talking about managing your online profile with Reputations, Phil Kapper, and we'll be talking to Charlie Harding of Bon Vivant Marketing and top operator Jesse Dunford-Wood of Parlour on where social media is heading. So a fantastic lineup there for once. Uh, it's never a bad thing. Um, and we're recording this in the Star Tavern, a cracker of a fuller's pub in Belgravia. That's a posh part of London Heath, um, so keep your shoes on. Uh, this pub has a cracking claim to fame as it's one of only five pubs to have appeared in every single edition of the Good Beer Guide. Right, before we dive into digital, let's have a look at the week's news. Um, I mean, I've just come from the, uh, the hospitality uh, demonstration. Uh, how about you two? Were you, uh, were you there demonstrating? Uh, I was didn't working, see you, working hard. Uh, right, okay. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Yeah, I was busy. You what? I was busy. You were busy. I was busy. How, How many people were there, Red? There, there were a few. How many? Not as many as we would have liked. How many would you, you like? two didn't turn up? Well, so there'd be 42 of us when we turned up. <laughs> <laughs> Turnout was low. However, yeah. the volume of noise was, uh, was impressive. Mate, we could turn up with a million people. The government still wouldn't care. I mean, it, it, yeah, but it comes down to this, doesn't it? If you don't do anything, if you sit there and go, there's I've no said point. what we need to do. We just stop paying tax. Yeah, but who have you told this to? I've done on the podcast. All three we listeners. Stop, stop paying all on three the, listeners. If on the we podcast. all got together and actually did a constructive thing, but the problem we've got too many voices. Everybody wants to be a hero. Oh, let's save hospitality. Let's do that. Let's do that. Too many people shouting. I mean, well, you do a fair amount of shouting and ranting on this, but I mean, that's yeah. about as far as it goes. Yeah, I just don't really do anything beyond that. You're a bit of a fair weather kind of whiner, aren't you? This is, uh, it's a bit I mean, cold I'd just this be morning. I'd be, another, I'd be another person yelling for hospitality, having a rant on Twitter. What's the fucking point? 
Well, it, we can sit there and do nothing. There are those. What would can. you like me to do, Ed? Uh, well, you could have come down to demonstrations. <laughs> I, mean, I needed someone to carry my equipment. Yeah, you're a bit out of shape. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what else has been going on? Have you, you haven't been on any holidays this week, Heath? No, no, nothing. I'm just getting ready for Christmas, I suppose. And how's uh, Christmas looking? Yeah, shaping up. Um, yeah, I think it's people are starting to really realise it's around the corner. Mm. So bookings are coming in hard and fast. Um, yeah, just trying to be organised. Obviously, World Cup is going to uh, is going to be in the middle of that. You're not going to be showing it. No, I'm taking. I, I just don't agree. You with you boycotting? Rights. Yeah, I'm boycotting it. Yeah, it's, it's the fact that you haven't got a telly. Got a TV. Yeah, just can't be bothered putting it out the front. <laughs> You did show it before. You've shown it before. Yeah, I've you? shown it before, but it's in summer and it's nice in the garden and the sun shining and everybody's out in the garden having fun. You know, in our heated marquee in winter and everybody trying to go through to the pub, it just won't be much. Like, and I just, I just don't know. Well, I mean, we are the, the. I mean, you joke about the boycotting. I mean, we are seeing a lot of uh, noise around it. We're, we're sort of obviously uh, Prudog. Um, oh come on! Made a uh, a big statement. <laughs> <laughs> my god do they look at themselves in the mirror when they do this stuff James Watts needs to wake up he, like what a travesty of a man but it's fine they, they got a little bit of hate on Twitter but yeah. it was worth it for make your principal stand so uh, oh they, yeah, they get PR no. don't they oh, we all PR, talk about them PR. yeah yeah he's not Audrey Hitler as though, lots he? of people are saying actually everyone is talking about them so you know it's been uh, it's they been need to because they need to sell more beer because their, their prices are overinflated That's well gonna... they, they've got to fill some big pubs as well and uh, to get some people in to see, see the football that they'll be showing in those pubs as well but I mean, yeah, I mean what do we think you know this, this is a really difficult question we have asked operators you know what, what do you have you done a survey on it. Yeah, we've done yeah. one. We've done one. We, just, we haven't got the results as of yet. It went out this morning, so we don't. It was on know. Twitter. No, it's on our, one of our stories. We've run the story oh, okay. this morning on it. I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? Because on one hand, you think realistically, if you're a pub that is a is a sports pub, or you, you need to get more bums on the seats, then you want to show it because you need to make some money, make some money fast to pay the extortionate bills that are coming the way. So, but if you like, if you don't do it, how else are you going to recoup that money otherwise? You've got to look at it like you know, what I mean, like, to what you normally do and how you're going to manage that. Like I don't know. Like I think. It's a massive ethical thing, though, isn't it? And is it fair to put that onto onto pubs? You know, lots of people made these decisions. You know, all the sponsors have decided they're still going to support yeah. uh, those that are still supporting it. The uh, yeah, but I think they didn't realise the backlash is only really coming through right now, isn't it? The more and more it get, the closer it gets to it, the more and more people are talking because we've known this has been. Yeah, going but I don't think. It, yeah, but it's not one of those things that's further down the road, isn't it? Yeah. And now it's coming closer. They've gone. Hold on, what's going on over there? Mm. I don't really agree with that. But should that then be people sort of saying to the pubs, "Well, you shouldn't be showing this," because then uh, uh, people are going to be people are going to. Didn't we, was that Bloomberg article I sent you that I, I didn't have a subscription to? But they're saying people are going to watch it at home, mm. and it probably makes more sense. Oh, the people will watch it. I mean, that's always the way with the World Cup, though, isn't it? And it, yeah. it, 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 it's easier, it's cheaper, all that kind of thing. Until England starts to do well. If England do well. And people will come to the pub because they want that shared experience in the pub, throwing their pints in the air and yeah. punching each other in the face and all that kind of stuff. Ye- years of working in the pub. The first, the first year I worked in the pub was just to help out with the World Cup when I was 18, and it was. The what was that? 66. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Must have been great when they won. <laughs> well, you'd have been about 15 then, wouldn't you? Oh. Um, 
don't make age jokes with the younger one. <laughs> it won't go well for you. Um, um, yeah, it was the busy, like it was busier than Christmas. It was the busiest time, and it was actually a really nice atmosphere. Then it was a completely wet led pub, but it was it was great. Sixty six. It was a nice which, time. Which World Cup was that? I'm not telling you because then you'll work out how old I am. Okay. Well, you're about forty, so. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, but anyway. Did England do well? They didn't. They never do well, do they? So no. But they uh, fans were there right from the beginning. It was my point. It wasn't like oh well, we'll just watch the first one at home and then go to the pub. They were there right yeah, from the beginning. The but then once they once they were out, that was it. That was the, the end. World, the world's changed though, hasn't it? Because going to the pub now is no longer a cheap experience. Yeah. Because a pint's going to be X amount. Mm. You know, it's quite. You know, and you're going to get something to eat. And it's it's a big night out. So I suppose you know consumers, as we know, have been really careful where they spend their money. But it gives them a reason to go, doesn't it? Beyond. And, and this is the thing. I think people may go, actually, yeah, no, let's go. Let's but how many Christmas parties this year are going to be screwed up by well, it's, it's Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's going to be like, oh, why are we so quiet? Oh, they're all at a Christmas party, or they're all mm. watching a game, or, yeah. you know, it's going to be. When is the first England game? Sometime in November, I don't think. Don't they, me. They, I know it's coming up soon, isn't it? It will be, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like one o'clock in the afternoon. I don't know why we're all looking at Nicky. I don't know. I've got no idea. I don't know. Three ardent football fans <laughs> on the podcast. Maybe you should change the name. It should be a football pop now. Um, budget this week. Mm. Well, so this, well, I say this week. When this goes out, we will have had the budget. So uh, this is going to be fascinating listening to. Um, what are we expecting? Um, nothing. I'm expecting to get absolutely... Very angry. Slaughtered by the government who tell us it was because of furlough and this big thing they don't talk about the track and trace system that was done on an Excel spreadsheet they spent billions on or Matt Hancock paying money to a Chinese hotel room company um, I, like I, I think you know they're telling us to oh, come on leave gonna, Matt out of it he's having a hard time oh, in the jungle right that's now. disgusting he's on TV um, but they, I just don't like they're telling us we've got to you know do the brute support each other and all that Meanwhile, you've got, like, they better windfill tax these energy companies and they better sort this out. But I, I like, you know, you always say I'm not very optimistic. I can't, what are we looking at for hospitality here? Because I can't see, we're not going to get a VAT reduction. We're going to, we're going to get hit with more taxes. Like, I don't think it's going to be, it's going to be a bloodbath. What I find interesting is that, especially throughout the pan- pandemic, like you guys talked about it a lot, but they would leak stuff to the nationals, like, just all, just mention this. And that, was that, Liz, that was Liz Truss. Let's see how Liz It was who it. doing it. Oh, That's why we're now. not getting the leaks anymore. But now it's all about, like, I've read quite a lot this week about tax cuts, and or not not tax cuts, but um, everyone having to pay more tax is going to be one of the things that's going to be announced at this autumn statement, fiscal event, whatever they want to call it these days. Um, but there's nothing else, and whereas before there was something about hospitality and there's none but there's nothing I mean there, there's there, there, all, the, all the sort of talk that's coming out of it and the, and the spec it's all soft landing or laying paving the way isn't it for, the, oh, yeah, it's just for those days they're basically telling us it's going to be bloody awful so when it actually lands and it is bloody awful but we've got it we've got to stick together and we're, we're British and we've all got I'm not British obviously no you're not you're we've Australian. got to get together and we've got to hang, support each other and you know I shouldn't be dropping food off at the food banks do you know what I mean like the government, you? Oh, I do like, but the government should be helping do you know what I mean why aren't like this is ridiculous mm. this is absolutely and they're just going to tax the fuck out of us more yep. yeah and they're going off to the middle class with their electric cars which makes me laugh but you know what I mean like it's just that's only because you've bought a uh, diesel, oh, a diesel uh, yeah, screw uh, gas guzzling uh, planet destroying uh, BMW yeah. haven't you got a diesel shut up <laughs> <laughs> Well, on that note, I think we'll part that one there and let's start talking about digital.
listening to the Lock In Podcast and we're talking digital in this episode. And how does digital fit in with an analogue pub? To talk through that, I'm delighted to welcome James Goldsworthy, Head of Digital at Punch Pubs & Co. Hi James, and thanks for joining us. Hi Ed, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. So let's just start with a fairly simple one. You know, pubs are traditionally sort of analogue places. We go to meet people face to face. They're the uh, antithesis of, of social media. That means direct opposite, Heath. <laughs> Thanks. I'll explain that one too. Uh, so, uh, why should pubs be be thinking about the digital world? Why why is it important? Well, I think if you you know you look at over the last few years and you look at your customer base, no matter whether they're young or old, you know everybody seems to have one of these in mm-hmm. their pockets. Indeed. Um, for, for the people listening in, he was holding up a phone. Oh, thought it was a notepad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can see me because I can see you on the screen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, and I think you know. We've become very digitally literate, and especially over the last couple of years, I think, you know, where we've, we've previously we believed that, uh, you know, there's not a place for technology in pubs. I think that's changed quite a lot recently. Mm. And, I mean, why should pubs be thinking about this? What's, uh, what, what, what are the benefits to it? I mean, how does it translate into uh, to cash in the till? Because that's, that's the most important thing, isn't it, to, to, to drive business, to generate returns. Why, why should they be doing that? sort of practical couple I think you know we've seen where you're using you know you can deploy apps into for ordering and things like that you can certainly make more money from a from a from a, from a basket size perspective you know if your your customers can view your whole menu really easily and order things to their table you're just making it more convenient for them um, so, yeah, the, and the, the upside of that is you know people are generally will, will generally upsell themselves so they will choose you know a better gym for their gin and tonic they will you know maybe try something that they've never tried before and rather than just going to this the obvious things that are sat on the bar mm, mm. um it just gives them you know gives them that opportunity mm. and that really, that really follows through with everything we've seen in terms of um you know actually playing out in, in, a, in a venue I, Heath, let's bring you into this because you you do run a pub, I believe, mm-hmm. when you're yeah, there. Sometimes, not on holiday. Yeah. Um, sometimes, yeah. Uh, how do you? Um, I mean, how do you embrace this? What do you do? Do you do anything? What digitally? Yeah. Like I don't. I don't Other like than just sit there on your phone. <laughs> I don't like ordering apps. They, right. they actually do my head in. And I think a lot of my customers feel the same way. Like, yeah, I hate when you go to a vineyard. I was at a restaurant, a very nice restaurant, not very long ago. And I sat down, and the guy said, "Oh, you just got to scan the QR code." I'm, I don't want to be on my fucking phone looking at a menu, scrolling through it, trying to zoom in and stuff. Just give me a piece of paper. Like, I want to look at something. Especially when you're in a nice atmosphere in a nice restaurant, you want to. I don't want to be on my phone for ages trying to scroll and stuff. So, no, at, at, at my pubs, we everything's printed. Mm. You know, what I mean, it's old fashioned, but I just think that topical until I get you know I can't see some of my 80 year old punters wanting to sit on their smartphone you know. but you represent the, the granddad sort of element of the business I mean yeah. you're, you're of advanced years so your yeah, attitude but, but towards even, these but even my even my pub in Sussex the, the, you know they're quite the, the team that run it are quite young but I just don't think like you know we have a we have a QR code for the bottle beers and stuff but I just want to keep it really want it to be really quick you know what I mean I'd yeah. rather, I just yeah. want it to be fast service Okay, quick so faster. old fart views. Nikki, yep. as uh, we've established, you are younger. Token uh, young person. Forty-one. Um, yeah, I mean, what yeah. what are your um, what are your do you do you like? Do your friends like using um, apps and QR codes? And yes and no. And so I actually am quite 
old person like in my approach I don't like to use the apps because I actually oh, like to talk to people I know that's something you struggle with Heath but I actually quite like talking just struggles with people generally. I, just I just don't like people that's the problem but like, I, there's a, a bar I went to a little while ago that was table service pre, pre-Covid but was table service only and I didn't know I went in and went up to the bar and was like oh can I order a cocktail they're like yeah sit, sit down you need to order from the table I said but I don't want something on the menu like I'm that awkward person who says oh can you just make something up for me because I'm annoying like that because I want to have that conversation and that interaction so for me like ordering apps aren't really for me you know during the pandemic when we had to use them it was annoying because my phone never worked or something would always go wrong technology would fail and then I just got annoyed and wanted to talk can't to get wifi can't get wifi you're too far out in the garden because the wifi won't reach it's just annoying but then I'm, I'd see the benefits of it it can be faster it can for those people but how, just how, well, I suppose a quick pint. how much is it stuck at punch like is it is it carried yeah, on well, sticking well, how, how are you finding your your um, your your guys sort of adopting this kind of technology James honestly it's tricky so we've done we've done loads of research um, and we know our customers want it and you know like you guys have said it's not the one thing you, you don't want it all the time it's the only way to order um, but I think there are certain times when it works really really well for example if I'm out with a friend I don't necessarily one of us want to stand at the bar all night when the other one sat at a table if you want to go and chat you know I want to have my first drink maybe go to the bar and then sit down and have my conversation with the person I've come to the pub with mm. um, so that's kind of why we see a you know, benefit and that's why our, our, our customers are sort of are looking for that option mm. um, I think from pubs themselves I think they um, especially after you know two years of kind of Covid and wanting to get back to normal whatever that is these days I think there is a certain uh, you know there's a certain amount of resistance because it's one more thing to think about Um you know, an additional, additional, you know, part of the service that feels like an extra headache. Mm. Um, well, you know, I have seen where these things make their own is if I'm struggling with staff, for example, you know, an app can take a real big load um, from my staffing costs mm. um, and, and just speed those things up. And it's not, you know, people worry about it being an excuse for not giving hospitality or not being polite to people I've still got to bring the drink to the table it's not a robot I mean it, it probably could be a robot bringing it to the table but um, hopefully not yet um, but there's still there's still chances to have those interactions with the customers and actually if you are short staffed you've got more time to be able to do that if we're if we're using that order process to eat up some of the time yeah I mean, this explains why, why Heath doesn't do it because he doesn't want to have more time to talk to. His well, but also, I've seen some horror stories where I've been in pubs and the customers can order by the app, and you just see this bartender's printer just going, and they can't keep up. Like, they're mm. literally just flying out. I've mm. been at Witherspoons at Gatwick Airport, God forbid, or Stansted Airport, <laughs> and the app's off, and no one can order on the app, and you've got to go and queue up on this really long queue at the bar. Right. Because like, obviously, they just can't handle the volume much. just going in. Just because everyone's mean? sending drinks to your table from. Uh, all around the world it's, uh, yeah. uh, but that's about managing, managing your service isn't it I think you know it's just it's it, you have to think about those things in a different way uh, mm. I think by just sort of saying oh, we, we can't do it it's too hard I think you, you know having a, having too many orders is a, is a problem that most of us would probably like to have at the moment <laughs> true I suppose true. you make it work don't you if you're in that situation and you're running a business you make it work to what you need to do and is there is there a reluctance uh, is, is it a generational thing do you think James that uh, you know maybe we're we're maybe a bit longer in the tooth in, in the pub game and, and there's that sort of techno shock that fear of fear of the new certainly that yeah definitely I think 
you know, a lot of people in our industry want to sit back and remember the pub as this beautiful, quaint little place where you go and sit and talk to the barman, which is, you know, what I want a lot of the time, but not all of the time. And I think it's just recognising that fact that it's not it's not either or. I mean, the, 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 the interesting thing, you know, you said everyone's in there with their phones and things like that. And we, we talk about socialising and pubs are social spaces. And we've all been in that situation in a pub where everyone sat around the table messing around with their phones. That's not social, is it? And I, and I can see, no. I mean, you look at what Sam Smiths have done very famously, uh, banned all screens and technology in their pubs. Probably a bit extreme, but I mean, how do we balance that? Because it, it, it is against that social kind of fabric, isn't it? Hmm. And I think that's got to be up to the individual, hasn't it? Like, you know, I, I don't seem to be able to take my child to school in the car in the morning without him sat looking at the phone and I'll try and have a conversation with him. But he'd rather multitask and, you know, have one headphone in and, and sort of reluctantly chat to his dad as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then if I go with my friends, it just, I think, you know, we'll find that the phones do go away. Maybe we'll check the football scores or something like that, but it won't be, we won't be sat on the phones all the time. And I think that's just a, you know it's like a symptom of our generation isn't it I mean you would have seen you know in, in, in previous times people might have a newspaper and yeah. they might all sit around reading the newspaper in the morning or what have you but it, you know just because the mediums change I don't think anything the, 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 the having a distraction in those situations hasn't really hasn't really gone no. so. it's no. interesting that you say that though because if you think if you're someone that goes in and orders your drink on an app let's say in a pub like you say Edith, that is a, a social space in a restaurant I think it's because it's a more formal setting it seems a bit more normal but you go into a pub you don't speak to a member of bar staff you order your drink on the app yeah they bring it over but that's then the only interaction that you have with that person they don't when you pay the bill you pay it on the app and that's that's it you don't ever get a chance really to speak to that member of staff it just feels a bit feels a bit un- I don't know shit I need to get a nap <laughs> you're brilliant yeah, you, you, you put it like that genius I didn't go into the pub to, to have a conversation with the bar person I went to the pub to have a conversation with people I went to the pub with what, this is true own? yeah but, but Nicky does not drink on their own a lot so. but you do get the guys who come in or the ladies who just want to have a chat and just hang out and just, but you know, we've got a lot of customers coming suggesting she's themselves. hanging around in pubs for a reason that her husband would be too happy it's about a bit untoward <laughs> Tell him. We're getting used to having well, a girl on the podcast. Well. So. <laughs> what do you so what do you think of the future is then of the apps? Do you think it's gonna current evolving or do you think it's just gonna stay where it is? I think it will have to evolve for sure, you know. Like you said, you know, we we've just talked about a lot of bad experiences that are out there and there are a heck of a lot of bad experiences. Um but it's it's you know, it's and that's a, a maturity thing. As those, you know, as those apps get better and more mature, and those things will feel easier. Um, and uh, yeah, like I say, it's just it's just one it's just one string to your bow, isn't it? Yeah. So early days, but uh, but we should see this evolve. Um, James, thank you very much. We are out of time now, but thank you very much for that. This is the Lock In Podcast with myself, Ed Bennington, Heath Ball and Nikki Thatcher. We're focusing on digital in this episode and one of the things we wanted to look at was building a virtual or digital community, how you do it and how that can benefit your business. And who better to speak to about that than superstar chef Gary Usher, who's used the digital world to help him build up an impressive empire in the Northwest. Gary, welcome. Hey, thank you. 
Thanks for joining us. So, I mean, as I said, you've built up um, five bistro operations, I believe, starting out with the award-winning Sticky Walnut and Chester, and you're now set to open your first pub. Um, but nearly all these buildings were built with the help of online crowdfunding. Um, so I think it's fair to say you can't do that unless you're a bit of a social media celeb. Uh, so, Gary, how did you do it? Um, how do you use social media to build that profile and that, that community of supporters? Yeah, so... Uh Cool. I, I mean, to be honest with you, first thing is I get asked a lot of advice about about how we've done it and um, and and crowdfunding in general. And uh, the, the, you know, the biggest question is, you know, how you know how how do you do it? And I I really don't have all the answers, but what I can say is that um, by being present online in a way that you are open and honest and it's a warts and all account of your business goes a long way when it comes to creating that kind of community. Um, excuse me. So um, if, if we go back to the first restaurant that we crowdfunded, so we were already in um, Sticky Walnut. We'd been open for a couple of years. And um, when we crowdfunded the first restaurant, Burn Truffle, I think that the reason that it worked is for a couple of years before I'd been on um, Twitter and I'd been talking about what we do, but I hadn't been uh, I hadn't been selling the dream. I'd been really honest. So uh, if something went wrong, I'd tell everybody, and if if something was rubbish, I'd tell everybody, and if and if it restaurant, I'd tell everybody. But on the flip side of that, if something went great. I'd share that. And if we were busy, I'd share that. And I think because for a couple of years before we announced that we were going to crowdfund, we'd built up this um, really interactive space where I chatted to everyone every day that was interested in what we were doing. And I answered every single question that was asked of me online. Um, I don't get the time to do that anymore, unfortunately. But back then I did. I answered every single question and I spoke to everyone every day. And um, and although at the time we had, um, I think it was 5,000 followers on Twitter at the time, which isn't a huge amount, but it was healthy. But it wasn't to do with the amount. It was to do with the engagement. Mm. And um, there was so much back and forth. And there was, you know, I would post out and there were so many so many reactions so many questions lots of likes it was really healthy in that sense and when we came to do the first um the first crowdfund we'd already built that community of people that liked what we do and that's key so when people ask me regularly now do you crowdfund and can i crowdfund and would it work for me i have to say that in my own experience uh the way that I did it was by building the community before I did it. And that sounds really obvious, but it's the, it's interaction, people getting to know you. Um, if they get to know you and they like what you're about, then they might invest in you because as sort of as odd as it sounds, okay, you're doing a crowdfund and okay, you're selling essentially a business or a brand, but there's a person behind that. So you're selling yourself. So essentially you're a salesperson, you're mm. a salesman saleswoman so you have to get people essentially to like you and the easiest way to do that and that's for whether someone likes you or doesn't you is just by being yourself so if you're the type of person that people don't like then perhaps it won't work but if you're you're, you're screwed if you're, I, I'm, I'm looking at Heath here but um... <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not saying that i am the type of person that people like but but i was 
I was pretty brutally honest um, with business um, mm. and uh, and telling people, yeah, the ups and downs. And I think that that is relatable. I think it's relatable when things go wrong because if you take the last of crowd funds that I've done the, the last two so I tried to do one with Cedars which was selling equity mm. and uh, and I <clears throat> I just got it wrong and um, and I think by why, why did that why, why why was that wrong why did it not work do you think God, so many reasons um, <clears throat> I think that I I I didn't fully understand it it's probably the easiest it's probably the easiest answer to that mm. I didn't fully understand it um, I I didn't get enough advice about the valuation and I and the valuation was completely wrong for the business um, and if I did it again now I, I'd have a much it, it would be much closer to, to, to the reality of what the business should be valued at mm. so I got all that wrong um, and that was crucial as well because the valuation of the business only takes somebody that's been in business for a couple of years to be able to see that that's wrong mm. so I got that wrong um, and I just didn't fully understand it but um there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, it's a bit embarrassing, for sure. And things that you get wrong can be embarrassing, but we all make mistakes in life, don't we? No one's perfect. So mm. I think by being upfront about that and owning up to things that you get wrong is important for people to keep believing in you. Because if, if you try and black everything and make, you know, try and make people believe that everything you do is good, then, you know, people aren't stupid. People know that as humans we get stuff wrong and we make mistakes so the last two crowdfunds i think um owning up to mistakes has been a big part of it telling people when 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 you mess up um mm. a huge part of it. yeah absolutely huge part of it i mean it's, it's honesty and integrity isn't it really mm. um and like you say being uh, that 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 makes you a likeable it's been person transparent, isn't it? yeah yeah i mean you you, you went down there because it didn't work. You've then come back, you've switched back to crowdfunding again and had an absolutely another astonishing success. I mean, do you think that that is just the best way for you to go forward with, with, with that crowdfunding role rather than uh, rather than an equity route? Oh, good question. So, I... No, I don't actually. I think that what I did was I got the equity-based crowdfunding completely wrong. So... I don't think that necessarily we're the wrong people to be doing equity-based crowdfunding. I just got it wrong. Mm -hmm. So in the future, I would love to try it again, actually. So um, I do love Kickstarter because it's hard not to because it's been so great for us and we've mm -hmm. had so much success with it. In fact, we've only had success with it. With it. We've, we've never failed with the Kickstarter. We've done seven now. Mm -hmm. um, but... I would like, I'm, I'm ambitious, I'm really ambitious, and as a business we're ambitious, and as people we're ambitious, and I've got, you know, always have big, big plans, and to do the things that I'd really love to do with the business, we need, we would need to raise much more than what I think is capable on a Kickstarter, so I'd love to try investment, investment uh, crowdfunding again, I'd love to offer shares again, um, <clears throat> but I would just, I would do it better yeah. i would get it right and i've learned as well i really have learned so the next time round, um i would mess up the valuation i would be more prepared i would know all the <laughs> all the little uh tricks that i had no idea about so i'd love to do it again did, did, did um cedars look at your valuation did you have any advice on that did, did you look at anybody for evaluation like what you're actually valued uh, at? did they did someone agree with you did there was any guidance on that I, 
I don't want to make anyone else other than myself look bad about okay. it. So <laughs> I'm just saying that I'm just it's you know it was my project. It's all my you know it's my project. My responsibility. Okay, okay. so yeah. so yeah. it goes on to my next question. I'm sure you get asked this, but what about traditional funding? What about the banks? Is that just a you have so much success with Kickstarter yeah. and stuff? Is it just easy to carry on doing yeah. that and go to traditional funding? Yeah. So in the past, I kind of used the whole you know fingers up to the banks thing as a as a bit of a strap line to <laughs> when, when I did went so when we had the first restaurant, sicky. I am. Um, I went to the banks and I asked for, I think it was 15 grand after my first year for some, for a loan to do some air conditioning and, um, <clears throat> and there was some, some of the refurb in the kitchen and, um, <clears throat> and the bank said no. And I was really sort of, um, sh- shocked that they said no, because, um, we, we'd done really well in that first year, um, particularly for our first restaurant, first business, we'd done really well. And I thought that it would be just really easy to get a 15 grand loan mm. and, um, and they said no, and that's how, um, and that's how we started. That's where crowdfunding came from, f- from us in the first place, because because of that situation. But I have then kind of used that as a as a little, you know, it's been a, for the first few crowdfunds. It was kind of that was the sort of story, you know, the, the piss mm. off to the banks type thing. Mm. But actually, in the last sort of, um, in the last five or six years, I've had a really good relationship with. Um, with the bank that we use um barclays is is our bank and and mike my bank manager has actually been he's been brilliant over the last five or six years and he has helped us so um the traditional roots of 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 loaning money and uh and securing finance and that type of thing um as a business we do actually work with the bank and we do get a bit of help so i can go to the banks uh well i go to barclays and they do help a little bit but um we don't turn enough of a profit for them to just sort of um, Throw go all out, yeah. lend, lend us everything that we need to open a new site. So it works well with Barclays that I do. If I can crowdfund a couple of hundred grand, then they will loan a couple of hundred grand. Um, and it's the sort of securest way of a business for us to, to move forward because we're using the sort of crowdfunded money, which is meals across the group. And then, a much smaller loan than what we would have needed if we'd have gone the whole way with the bank. So it kind of works really well that we are using the bank as well. So it's, mm. it's a little bit of both. So mm. there's the traditional way with the bank, with the crowdfunding, and, and that works pretty well for us. And you're not interested in uh, in private equity? I mean, you must have people coming to you now <laughs> on a regular basis yeah, we, trying to throw money at you. Uh, <laughs> I would love to say that, yeah, we have looked, no, <laughs> we, we've had, um, we've definitely had interest in the past and, 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 you know, even when I, when I announced that we were sort of, um, launching before Cedars, we were actually going to go with Crowdcube. And when I announced that there was a few people that actually got in touch with me privately and said, bloody hell, you, you, we, you know, I'd be interested in, in, in backing the business privately and, and yes, we've had fees, uh, VCs um, shown interest in the past over the years, and um, and I think that I don't know. I've the way that we've gone so far, and even with this, with the cedars that we were looking at doing, that that would be my preferred mm-hmm. route. I think, mm-hmm. unless I met, you know, unless I met the perfect person, yeah. you know, to. 
to to join us mm-hmm. i could uh, i'd always be very apprehensive about working with you know a person or or a vc because um uh yeah i just would um yeah. it's not about relinquishing control it's just about right uh, it's just about maintaining it's just maintaining all the things that you believe in and being able to always you know always see those through mm-hmm. um there's certain situations that you can get in uh, where those things can become an it, where that control can become an issue. So, yeah. No, yeah, it's worked the way we do it so far. So we'd probably stick with those those routes. Okay, uh, just conscious of time, one last question, just bringing it back to that that social media thing because you you said yourself, and I think in that you 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 put the uh, sort of uh, top tips on on how to crowdfund on on social recently, and one of the things you yeah. sort of said, you know, you've got to invest time, you've got to be on, you've got to be engaged, you've got to be on it, and I mean, social media can be a bit of a cesspit, a cesspool of uh, <laughs> of uh, experience and things. I mean, how do you manage that? How do you balance, you know, your time to to be devoted to that and to engage with people and maintain your sanity at the same time how, how do you do that i'm the wrong person to ask <laughs> <laughs> so i i listen i i'm probably the same as a lot of people i'm on social media too much i do get dragged down by the by the negative stuff on it i do yeah i'm I don't. I don't manage it. Is the honest answer. And mm. and with with something like um, um, a crowdfund, you you do have to give it everything in terms of your time. And your time does need to be spent on social media because, like I said before, you are kind of a salesperson for your project. So social media is the perfect place for you to be selling what you're. What you know what you're offering. So um, it's a difficult one. Um, I, will, I have um, part of this last project in the, with this pub. The community up here is so amazing. The people, I have locals in here every day helping me renovate this pub. And it's really given me a bit of lease, new lease for life because it's so positive. It's made me feel so good. I actually feel, I feel really, I feel really good at the minute. And it's because of that. And it's made me think a lot about social media and the way that I am as a person. And, you know, maybe it'll wear off, but at the minute I'm just trying to be positive because because that's the best stuff in life, isn't it? And actually Absolutely. the stuff that I've been saying on social media, I know for a fact has been much more positive recently. And that's because of this community up here. Uh, well, no, that's... That's it. Yeah. That's the beauty of uh, of pubs, isn't it? I think that's the uh, not yeah. that, uh, not that we're biased, another pub based podcast, but uh, there you go. And uh, it's also nice to have a bit of positivity, balancing out um, Captain Grumpy, uh, my co-host Heath, his usual misery and uh, sort of uh, complaining. So, uh, Gary, um, we are out of time, but thank you very much for that. Um, thanks for your thoughts, and uh, we shall leave that one there. Thank you. You're listening to the Lock In Podcast and this episode we are taking a deep dive into the murky world of digital and how pubs can embrace the opportunities. Of course, being online and on social media is a double-edged sword. You open yourself up but people can throw things at you. So what's the best way to go about managing your online profile and reputation? Who better to ask about that than Phil Cather, Enterprise Account Director with Reputation. Phil, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. 
so I mean his preferred method of dealing with online interactions is to get all sweary and threaten to set his kids on them um, but I'm not sure that's the best approach um, Phil how should operators be protecting their online reputation what should they be thinking about <laughs> Well, I mean, if you think about any organisation, certainly if you're an operator, you've got these massive locations that have a digital presence. You know, the first part of call for any consumer when they're looking for any product or service now is to look online first. They, they're, they're, they're being careful with how they spend the money. They're going to look online and they're going to try and find how and where to best spend that money and have that experience that they're looking for. So managing the, the presence of your, your locations digitally online is of paramount importance more than ever. And, and, and how should they be going about it? What, what should they be thinking about? Well, first and foremost, if you think about your, your digital presence, you've got you know, the likes of Google, TripAdvisor, even Apple Maps now is a very, very widely used technology by consumers, just naturally by you know, using the map application in their, their mobile device. So making sure the information that is presented online, first and foremost, is as accurate and consistent as it can be. You know, there's nothing worse than seeing something, saying, saying it's open on a map and actually turning up at the front door and finding the doors are locked. So you know, literally all of the information stored digitally online is of paramount importance to ensure that the consumers at the very, very start of that journey are having a great experience. I, Heath, are you? I mean, you've, you've got a few sites. Are you on top of that kind of stuff? Do you uh, do you make sure that your yep. your your things? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Constantly looking. Constantly. Constantly replying. Reply to everybody. Look. Just make sure and just you know. But do you do an audit? Do you uh, do you sort of uh, make sure things are up to date? And uh, yeah, like our online booking system gives us all the customer feedback. I go through that, read comments, reply, direct email. You know, it's a bit of time. It takes a bit of time to make sure. And then there's always some weirdo trying to make some weird comment, you know, inappropriate shit. So I like taking them down a bit as well and then stalking them on Instagram, you know, on, on social media and finding out where they live and stuff and sending them pizzas and stuff. Yeah. I mean, great. Uh, Phil, is that the kind of advice you'd be giving to uh, people on how to uh, to manage those situations? Possibly not. Uh, it's also understandable that uh, operators are very passionate about the reviews that are left about them online. So the tone of voice is, of course, entirely up to you. But at least you see to be responding to them. I mean, is that, yeah, I mean, is, is responding the right thing? I mean, there, there's various sort of uh, schools of thought of people who sort of say, you know, respond, don't respond. I mean, what, what, what should people be doing, do you think? 100% respond. Um, you know, obviously, from a customer experience point of view, you, you're expecting a response. You know, you're not going on there to shout about it for no reason. Uh, you might not necessarily expect to respond. It's positive feedback. But again, we always advocate that you still respond to all feedback, positive or negative, mainly because from a digital marketing perspective, it actually influences the algorithms. So if you're actually seen to be actively taking a role in engaging with your customers in that space, Google Google love that and therefore they rank you higher in that all-important search result. So even if you're slagging them off and telling them where to go, you should still... But so, the, so the algorithm actually picks it up and gives you more more presence? Is that what you're saying? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. It's a major part of the algorithm that Google uses. Okay. Is that, is that the same on all review sites, whether that be like a review that someone's left you on Facebook or, or TripAdvisor or Google or whatever, what other, ever, other platforms are out there? 
Yeah, I mean, we always talk to Google because they are the, 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 the king of online search. I think they control about 96% of the traffic in the UK. So we refer to them. Of course, it's important on the other environments as well, uh, but not so much as Google. It's absolutely, we talk about the algorithms and how you're going to get find, found in that search result when someone's looking for that all-important place to go to eat, then... Yeah, absolutely. Managing the business listings and the information is one thing, and that's a big part of the algorithm. But how you engage with those customers in that environment is also the, the next biggest piece of that algorithm as well. So you're not penalised in the way you respond. So, I mean, like we said, if Heath, if Heath is um, getting stroppy and aggressive back, it, that I has don't no get aggressive. Impact. I don't get aggressive, I just get stroppy. Uh, okay, <laughs> stroppy, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's Australian stroppy and then there's... I'm a Kiwi uh, again. I'm sorry, I keep forgetting. Um, I mean, it, it, does it make any difference in terms of how you respond? No, I mean, Google won't read the review, re, review responses, no. I mean, as long as you seem to be taking an active role. But, of course, what you don't want to do is create an argument with customers online and, and dampen your reputation that way. So, I don't know why I'm looking at you like that. Sorry, Heath. Um, so, I mean, you also said good good response. You, you should be replying to, to the good as well, because I know we very much focus on more on the negative and, and, and replying to that, but, but it's a good practice to, to respond to those good ones as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you if you break down that part of their algorithm, it, it's actually, are you getting reviews? Are you getting them regularly? So, i.e. asking for reviews to be left online. Mm. Uh, are you responding to them? Not just negative, but positive as well. So, you know, at least I would say 100% of negative and probably at least 50% of the positive. But the more, the better. It really does influence that, that, that search ranking. And, and should people be in, inviting that, that review process? I mean, um, there are pubs that, that just say, no, no, don't want to have, don't want to encourage it at all. But should they, should they be sort of saying to people, please leave us a review? Absolutely. I mean, some of the things we do with our clients is, is about, you know, soliciting as much feedback as possible in those environments. So we have automated processes that help organisations do that across Google. TripAdvisor, equally important in your sector. Mm. Um, so yeah, driving those volumes is is absolutely. I'd rather I'd rather give I'd rather give ear to Google reviews than TripAdvisor reviews. Least least with least with Google, you sort of they might sign into their accounts and stuff. But with TripAdvisor, it's just a cesspool. Those people are just freaks, man. They, that, that whole website just needs to go away. Horrible. Oh, do, you, do you encourage reviews here? No, I don't. Uh, I, I hate going places and they go, "Oh, could please leave us a review." No, I don't want that. Like, if you if you want to, I don't. I feel like you're but just you trying like the, to. You be, like the good reviews when you get them. Yeah, but I don't want to go out there and be like desperate. I'll oh, give us a good review so we, we can be busy and we've done well. And I'll make sure you mention one of the staff's names so they get a bonus. I hate all that shit. It's so inauthentic. I want them to come and be. You know, like if they have a good time, great. Write about it. If you had a bad time, write about it, and I'll respond. But I don't. I don't want to like just like oh we need loads of likes. It's like you know that whole like us, like us, like us. Give us reviews, reviews, reviews. Well, I guess. Uh, then as Phil was saying that, that, that feeds into your algorithms it gives you a greater kind of uh, yeah, but visibility in that, in but I've seen so many places you've gone to and you go oh they've got great reviews and you get there and you go it's shit <laughs> like where? I won't mention names <laughs> that would upset some people is it one than the red line and son? I'll give you a list no okay slide it to you later <laughs> I mean, Phil, you, you, the, it's a good point on, on TripAdvisor. You know, it, it, it was something that um, 
that certainly was resonating. I mean, we've recorded podcasts on this in the past, and sort of 12 months ago, we were probably talking about TripAdvisor more. I, I feel like we're talking about it a little bit less these yeah. days. I think it's not relevant anymore. There's, there's less relevance to it. I mean, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see, we see the statistics all the time. You know, if, if I was on the road two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, the go-to before choosing someone's suit was TripAdvisor. Not anymore, it's Google. Uh, right. It is absolutely the most important site, as you quite rightly say. Yeah. Um, bit of a necessary evil, though. You still need to keep your star averages up there. People will still go there, uh, albeit you know not as much as it used to be. Hundred percent. Yeah. So don't Google. don't ignore, but maybe. It's... Yeah, but TripAdvisor's like Facebook, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's like a, it's a certain demographic now that like read it and stuff, and it's Marjorie from you know Chester. Who's, who's down for the weekend in London? You know, where Google's more relevant to what's going on today. It's I mean, more it was, like TikTok the, and. There was an interesting choice of hometown there. Oh, no, no, no. Just so. I know someone from Chester is yeah. a bit, bit of a. I don't know. A bit of a weirdo. <laughs> oh, there we go. Um, so, I mean, uh, just just conscious of time, Phil. I mean, what would your what would your top advice be to operators um, in terms? Of, what, what would be the key takeaways you'd give to them? Manage your digital presence, you know, make sure hours correct and make sure you're posting in there. I mean, Google is, is really a social channel now. You can create posts about events you've got running this weekend, literally leverage every part of those business listings as much as possible. Ask for feedback, you know, especially if you've got, you know, below average scores and ratings, tapping into the silent majority of happy customers that haven't even thought twice about leaving your review will bring your star averages up. Respond to them, of course. Um, you know, as I mentioned, respond to positive and negative. But then beyond that, listen to it. Actually, you, know, you can digest and understand the problem areas at a local level. You can operationally improve, and that that, that improves retention and advocacy and driving more and more people back to your business. Fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Phil. So there you go. Heath, you've got to start asking for reviews. No. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks very much for that, Phil. This is the Lock In Podcast with myself, Ed Bennington, Nikki Thatcher and Heath Ball. It's all about the digital in this episode and I'm delighted to welcome a couple of experts now to help us pick through the minefield of social media. We've got the wonderful Charlie Harding of Bon Vivant Marketing. She is a social or marketing expert and she describes herself funny on Twitter for money. So makes yourself very mercenary, Charlie, but that's, that's fine. And we've also got top operator Jesse Dunford-Wood of Parlour and Kendall Rise London. So thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you for having us. Right, no problem. Uh, great stuff. So, um, social media—we've we've heard from other guests that it can be a force for good or ill for the sector. Uh, but how can you go about making ensuring it's more of the good than the ill? So, um, uh, Charlie, maybe let's start with you. What would you say operators should be focusing on with social, and and most importantly, how can they use that to drive cash into the till? I mean, I'm, I'm really uh, a big fan of just bringing stuff back to basics. I think there's uh, a lot of people that I've worked with in the past who've spent a lot of time, um, you know, finding beautiful photos and finding the right people, but what they don't have is an up-to-date list of uh, their opening hours or uh, where they are <laughs> or how to get in contact with them. Um, so I think it's just, there's a lot of um, sort of very basic admin uh, that people can be doing to make sure that everything is as up-to-date as possible. If you're serving food, is that food menu, uh, is that up to date? 
Do you have an untapped? When are you open? Are your Christmas hours changing? You know, all of that just needs to be really, really easy to find um, for customers. The rest of it's just fluff. But what people are looking for when they try and find you is where you are, when you're open, and how to get there. So that's uh, that's the big thing for me. Get the basics right then. I mean, Jesse. I mean, what, what, how do you use social, and, and what would you say the benefits are for you? Um. I use it as a way to keep the conversation going about what we do, how we do it, what it's looking like, who the people are, and it's my direct line with all of these people. It's me standing on a soapbox in the modern era. And uh, the beauty of uh, the social media in our places is that it's from the horse's mouth. And um, that is where some people get it a bit wrong, where they employ people who, um, as you say, make things look beautiful. uh, Do Twitter for money. It's quite nice that um, you've got an insider's point of view, an insider's voice from the heart of that business that you're trying to communicate about. I guess that that's key, isn't it? I mean, tone of voice, you know, getting that right. I mean, Charlie, how would you how would you advise your your clients on that? Because you want it to be authentic. I mean, you don't necessarily want Heath's tone of voice because they sound Australian and, and a bit weird. New Zealand generally fight with their customers. So, how do you how do how, how do you maintain that authenticity if if customers are coming to you? And what would you advise them? It's really difficult. I think like people put a lot of onus on tone of voice, and I think actually all tone of voice feels very similar. You want to be you sort of, you know, a bit fun, a little bit educational. You know, sort of nobody's trying to go out to be offensive usually, unless that's your uh, that's your PR thing. Um, but it's. <laughs> I've got a couple of clients where I do the social copy for them, but they like to hold on to one uh, account for themselves, and that's where they feel they can do their thing, but I can make sure that, like I was saying before, the basics are done. Um, but I guess it's, that it also, sort of it's also voice. true that the operators don't always get the tone of voice right themselves, even if they think they should or could or even though they know it and it is people like you that um, can advise them on having a little bit of a better uh, a better message professionality I think you're looking for there Jesse isn't it (laughs) (laughs) so I heard people like you and I was like oh okay it was a good thing that was fine that was fine we like that but no it's I think there is definitely bringing an element of uh, your personal brand your um, I'm so sorry I live on a high street there's an element of bringing uh, you know your your personal brand your ethos your personality to things Um, I guess if if somebody wants to go and run their their social on their own and they're a little bit worried about tone of voice I mean I just try and treat it like a conversation like you said Um, if you wouldn't say it to somebody in a supermarket don't say it on Twitter it's quite a good (laughs) way of putting things you know keep things try and keep things positive try and keep things you know conversations going try not to get dragged into uh, arguments Um, unless I'm, I'm looking at Heath here, so I'm <laughs> Heath. Um, how, how do you use Twitter to uh, communicate? I don't use Twitter them? anymore. It winds me up. It, it, I get really upset. So uh, what, what's your preferred part? I use then? Instagram. Instagram, yeah. Okay. But then again, I'm pretty pretty measured in that, you know what I mean? I just I don't want to flood people with too much stuff and just feel like I'm putting posts up to 
you know, to be present. You know what I mean? I just want to, like, I just, I don't know. I just take my time. So do you have, like, a like a plan as to, I'm going to post on at this time every day, or how, what do, you, what do you do? Yeah, I don't, no, do I don't, you know, I, I look at algorithms and go, okay, I know I'm going to get the most pick up at 11 o'clock on a Monday morning. Yeah, no, I just post when I want. Do you know what I mean? Usually at three in the morning after a couple uh, of gin and tonics. Charlie, what would you suggest? I've had a few clients. I've had a few clients where I've had to change the passwords because that's happened. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I've had one of my clients' uh, Twitter banned for a short amount of time after um, a hand found on Burns Night um, and a photo taken. And it's it's funny now, but um, we have a, a thing on their profile that says, like, anything is at viewer's discretion because I just can't I can't control the man <laughs> no names mentioned yeah. I'm not going to mention his name no no no, no. Good, good um, sorry what were you going to ask me I, I, I was going to ask is there like do you suggest kind of you need to post at this time because that's you know when you're going to get most engagement or how do you how do you go about deciding what to post and when and not be too spammy I guess um, so I sort of I always try and recommend like two or three posts a week. I think that's usually plenty, unless you've got something like a big event coming up and you're pushing tickets. Um, I try and stick to sort of an eleven or a three, sort of eleven in the morning, three in the afternoon, because I sort of think that's about the time people are stopping and having a cup of tea. They're probably having a scroll. They've probably nicked out to the loo. Um, and I try not to keep the um, the content like very one note, so it won't be trying to sell something thing to somebody three times a week it might be a focus on a bit of history of the pub or it might be like a new beer that's just come on or it would be uh you know an event that we're putting on i just try and keep things on almost on a rotation so you're not as long as you're not trying to drive the same message over and over again um and try and switch up your photo so it's not just the same picture of a blurry beer or something <laughs> uh, that's what you want to do but obviously I work with content I give them half the time so. <laughs> and, and, and Jesse I mean how often do you post and what, what are your I mean Heath obviously doesn't like Twitter he's Instagram what, what are your preferred platforms uh, it, it's based around what's posted on Instagram and then that gets uh, reposted on to Twitter and Facebook as well and I'm currently doing three or four accounts and I try to post every day on Carla and uh, I've got a restaurant called Six Bottom Road and I know, I, I know you said you don't want to get too spammy about it but my idea is just about just to remind them that we're still here um, and I, I even you know continued it throughout all of lockdowns and everything like that that was the best engagement we've ever had um, because everyone was bored at home uh, and my philosophy is post first thing in the morning so it just sets your day up and then you don't need to worry about the rest of it but I mean I, like, I don't get too technical about it I don't really know how it works I know how it's working for no me. And, um, so you're not you're not um, yeah you're not being scientific in the sense you're not monitoring the the results no. you're not you're not using any metrics to kind of go okay well I'm I'm getting no, this out zero. of it. I am, I am interested in posting um, different content like let's do some interiors let's do some food let's do some people let's do some events yeah. uh, and keep it 
so that the grid is not just up with food photos or anything else. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's got to be balanced and varied because we are a very balanced and varied pub offering lots of things to lots of people. So uh, I need to be able to say something a little bit to everyone who's listening. Yeah. Yeah, and and Charlie, um, I mean, in terms of sort of channels, what what are the best channels in social at the moment? What should what should because there's a lot out there, you know. We we we're sort of busy people with finite amounts of time. What should people should be focusing their energy on? He's given up on Twitter, doesn't do Facebook. Um, I hate Facebook. He's been banned from it, um, and then Instagram is his baby. So I mean, what where should they be focusing? I mean, you're not a social media manager unless you hate at least one social network, and most of us absolutely hate Facebook. Don't encourage it. Don't encourage it. I understand that, Charlie, but there is a certain demographic that only uses Facebook and haven't... Exactly what I was going to come on to. I haven't quite finished. They're in their 70s. They're all in their 70s years old. (laughs) But there are a certain demographic that uh, um, and will not be using Twitter and don't really use Instagram, and I think... I, for me, focus always goes Instagram, Facebook, and then Twitter if you have one. I don't think ploughing yourself into Twitter now, unless you already built up a really good Twitter following from years ago, is, is, is worth your time. But definitely start with Instagram, but always make sure that stuff is popping over Facebook as standard. And, and do you think, I mean, with what's going on with Twitter, with, with Elon Musk taking over, are you anticipating sort of big change there? Is that something that operators should maybe have a bit more of a closer eye on? I mean, I literally had this conversation with a client this morning. Um, I mean, personally, I love Twitter, and my personal Twitter has got me a lot of work. I will go down with that ship. <laughs> I will go down with that ship. But from a, pers- from a business point of view... Um, I think uh, people need to start thinking about contingency plans. I think there are lots of very small independent um, venues whose following is mostly on Twitter because that kind of lovely community feel was was what it was about 10 years ago. You've got these little tiny bottle shops that everybody contacts them through Twitter and they need to make sure that they at least have another social... Um, What's the one Donald Trump uses? Running. Well, this, yeah, what's the one Donald Trump song? Why don't you just all get on that? It's the truth, wasn't it? <laughs> don't even um, bother thinking about it. No, no, and there's another one that's out now as well, Decentralised. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of people jumping to Mastodon, and I wouldn't recommend. All right. Sorry, Jesse, what were you saying? TikTok? I was going to say TikTok, yeah. Well, yeah. We've not talked about that. I yeah so TikTok I I personally love TikTok I I spend many hours pretending to go to sleep but actually looking at TikTok I follow a lot of people that for some reason own homesteads in mid America shearing sheep and living with their with their lesbian partners and I love it I absolutely love it um, TikTok is a massive investment of time and energy if you are a business so it's not quite as easy as throwing up a photo and finding some hashtags TikTok really requires effort and yeah. I would say if you wanted to move into TikTok then find yourself somebody either find yourself a member of staff you'll pay a bit extra who already uses it or find yourself a freelancer that knows how to use it yeah. and manage it for you because it's um it's far easier to get into a lot of trouble on TikTok <laughs> is what I'd say. <laughs> Is it worth the extra investment in going in TikTok? Oh, I don't it so depends. If you are, because it's so, um, so short video is like one of the big trends anyway, and it has been for a really long time. Um, I think if you've got the sort of brand that has like either very beautiful 
offering that people will watch a chef put something together and it will be beautifully edited or if you can if you've got enough staff that like, are kind of on trend with memes and things like that you can kind of make things funny and a bit like kitchen confidential silly stuff that happens to chefs in kitchens and you know all that if you've got the time and, and investment for that go for it otherwise I just wouldn't really bother and stick to like reels on Instagram if you want to yeah. do the odd kind of short so I, I can see both Jesse and Heath working on their dance routines uh, now for uh, TikTok I'm sure it'll be uh, it'll we've be both got small children which <laughs> I can't wait and uh, I think I'm going to encourage this to happen I think we need a uh, performance of the dance fair off. review uh, or dance off even better even yeah, better strictly uh, dancing I, I'm afraid we are out of time guys but thank you very much for that some uh, some really good things there thank you This is the lock-in podcast, and we're at the end of the episode. You'll be delighted to hear it's been a roller coaster. Nikki, first one, how's it been? Oh, it's been, uh, yeah, definitely interesting. Spending my afternoon with you two wasn't quite what I envisaged it to be, but it was, it was nice. It's, it's like a bad Tinder day, doesn't it? Is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have noticed that Heath's language has been remarkably yeah. cleaner than normal. Yeah. I think I'm on a lot of painkillers here. Is that what it is? Yeah, I, think, I, I mean, so. I, I thought you were just being nice because... Because I'm here. Yeah. You think I care about Nikki? <gasps> well, I was going to say, I mean, if you're assuming because we've got a lady, let's be clear about it, she's hey, not Hey, hey, you can't, you sorry, can't okay, use so. those... You, you, we, they, it, we, tea, I don't know. Ed, that's the nicest thing you've ever said about me, calling me a lady. Yeah, but I was using it to say you weren't a lady. Oh, sorry, but you didn't I mean, finish that. No, fine. I know, he's interrupted. <laughs> sorry. Ruined the joke, but... Uh, oh, there was a joke there, was it? I think I've been quite reserved today. You have been because I know Nikki gets upset when I rant about the government, and you always say all I do is talk about the government. I go into these conspiracy theories, and and then you go, "Oh no, you're giving them too much credit. You're giving this, you're putting on your tin hat, and all these conspiracy theories." Yeah. This okay. is now the end of every podcast episode. No, I won't talk about the government. I'm not going to talk about the government. I'm not going to talk about the government. Because we haven't got James poking him and winding him up. <laughs> I'm going to go home tonight and watch I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. Yeah. Not think about the government? No. no Have you been yeah, voting yeah. for Matt Hancock's no, the trial? I can't watch it. I'm, I'm He's racing. He's not watching it's it. It's disgusting. Yeah. I can't watch it. He shouldn't be on TV. Now that we've done. Yeah. Anyway, so what are we thinking? Budget? So what have you learned? No, oh, today. No, we're not oh. talking about the budget. Okay. No. What have you learned? What have you learned about social? What do you? Uh, well, from Gary, if you're just honest and put yourself out there, people will give you loads of money. Right. Okay. I mean, Bernie Madoff did the same no, I thing. I think there's a difference. If you're okay. honest, likable. Oh, yeah. I'm not likable. That's yeah. where you're falling down. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it's hard. Look, you know, you've got those guys there and they're all about reputation. The guys at reputation, 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 reputation. I don't know. Like, part of me, well, if you're honest, you just do what you got to do and you just move, you know, move through life in your own way and then it just comes, you know. Like, I, I hate driving. It doesn't feel authentic when you're driving reviews. Do you know what I mean? I know it, it's good monetary-wise it translates to cash and all that, but it just feels like you're being, I don't know, a bit like a second car, second-hand car salesman. But then you do, you, you must value reviews to a certain extent because you get so angry about bad ones. Oh, no, I just like a fight. <laughs> just want to be, oh, just want to be angry at somebody. He's an Australian. <laughs> I just want to be angry at somebody. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's imp- online presence is really important. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it does. You know, you can, you've seen people ruin their reputations mm. in minutes online. Do you know? Like, 
So, yeah, you've got to be careful and you're representing a brand or a business. I mean, we've got the book running on you for that, but uh, I'm not sure you have a reputation to ruin. That. That's the only thing. Okay. No one likes me anyway. It's fine. Oh, this okay. is true. Um, I mean, in terms of uh, apps, ordering apps, are you... Uh, I just don't... I, I, there's a I mean, time and a place for it. Less interaction with customers. Yeah. yeah, there's a time and place for it, but I think, you know, like, at a Witherspoon's at Gatwick Airport or Stansted Airport, yeah, cool. But having having the sort of operations that I want to run and, and service and look after customers... It's not what I want. I don't want somebody there going, hi, I'd like to order. How do I order? You go, uh, QR code. It's just not, it's not hospitality. That's service industry. We're in the hospitality business. So that's it's a difference. It can yeah. put barriers up in a way, can't it? I guess. Yeah, it's just if like, it doesn't work, like we were saying earlier, if it doesn't work, then immediately that's a barrier and that's annoying. That's going to automatically put someone's back Well, you've up. got them coming and going, oh, it's not working. Mm. You're internet shit. And you're just like... It doesn't, you know, I know everything costs money and we're trying to save the planet, but we print a daily menu at, at all the pubs. There we go. Simple. Nikki, what have you learned from uh, your first... I've learned that he can restrain himself when it comes to swearing. That's, yeah, I mean, that's, I didn't believe that was no, possible. No, I didn't. Witchcraft. <laughs> and, you know, or, or heavy medication. I'm on a lot of sedatives right now and a lot of, yeah... Yeah, that's a good thing. We shall uh, maintain that dose. Well, uh, I think that is pretty much all we've got time for. We're out of time. Uh, we need to check out the beer in the start, see if the good beer guide is right or not. I say we. I don't know. Uh, you've had four or five of those. Sure, you're expensing them. I mean, you, won't, you only drink wine anyway, so I don't know why. I'm I, I Nick only Guinness. drinks neat gin, so I think I will have to shoulder the burden of drinking all that beer. So, yeah. um, well, it doesn't look like you're going to struggle, Ed. <laughs> Thank you for that, Heath. Uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of the Locking Podcast. We'll be taking a look at the staffing challenges of the moment, so please tune in then. And cloning. We'll be looking at cloning. Cloning staff. Yeah, yeah. Cloning sheep and cloning staff. Imagine cloning you. Two of you would oh, be... Oh, um, no. <laughs> Sexy. Do you think the clone... <laughs> you would you make the clone a bit taller? Yeah. 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 Rather than a good thing. <laughs> and, and the bad... Uh, not a bad... I've got some low ceilings in my pub. I don't need to hit my head. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in the meantime, subscribe if you're one of our six listeners who hasn't yet. Please do share. I'm aiming for seven, and we do all the usual stuff on social. Please do spread the word. We will be back next time. We will see you then. Ooh.